and welcome to the Capiche Filmcast. This is Gordon Webster presenting, no Stephen Barry this evening. We've actually come to an end of the Bond Aft project and um, yeah, a bit of time's passed. Um, we're going back to just some regular film reviews now, like the, how the whole podcast started. And today we're going out to this evening, we're going to review Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's a long-awaited follow-up in terms of our podcast, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, because Raiders was actually reviewed by Stephen Scott back in, I think, about 2017. was one of our first episodes. So with me to review this, um, I'm introducing Andrew Webster. Say hello, Andy. Hi, everyone. I'm really looking forward to this and getting involved with this review. Great stuff. Um, now, it's amazing to have Andy on board. Um, Andy's a, a big film fan like me. Um, we're into a lot of the same stuff. Andy, I just wanted to ask you just a, a couple of introductory sentences. Just, I first wanted to ask you, obviously I know, but um, can you just tell the podcast, like, where, where do you stand, first of all, just as a film fan, like what what are the sort of genres that, that you like? And also, like where, where do you sit in terms of the Indiana Jones franchise and like your viewings over the years? I really like crime thrillers, I'm very into, but general action films, spy films, very varied. I mean, apart from horror, I don't particularly like, but most other films I'm, you know, very much into. And yeah. I, I, I like quite diverse genres, and I do like action. I suppose you could describe the Indiana Jones series as action-adventure, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And I like the kind of era it's in, it's pre-war mid to late 1930s, where I think mostly mid-30s concerning the first two yeah. films, and I just think it's it's really interesting the filmmakers depicting that time, but yeah, that's what I would say. That often I like similar kind of films to you, like spy films or the Bond films, and I like crime thrillers, and actually Harrison Ford, I've seen an enormous yeah. amount of his films. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm exaggerating a bit saying enormous, but I've seen a good body of his work, and a number of his films and you know i just like seeing him play different characters and enjoy him as an actor and yeah. i suppose that's inspired me want to review a film of his yeah like i said andy just great to have you on board i'm sure the other guys are really gonna appreciate it as well um we've obviously grown up with franchise such as this such as star wars such as bond and that's a good segue you know harrison ford because he's a tremendous actor i totally agree with you you know you look at the the diverse range is done you know we i mean we were recently watching random hearts but then you've got the star wars trilogy you've got a really early supporting role in apocalypse now you've got like regarding henry you've got um you know obviously witness. you get witness that's a brilliant one witness yeah um like just a, a top actor i just enjoy enjoy everything that he does um but yeah um and, and indiana, indiana jones films so I've always really thought of it as the trilogy, and then they've done Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, so I guess it's like a quadrilogy now. But how have you? We'll, we'll not say too much about the Last Crusade or or, uh, or Crystal Skull because we might hopefully go into them at some point in the future. But um, how have you always viewed the the Indiana Jones franchise? Where where, where do you sit with the, the films in general? Well, from my perspective, they are. I'd say all three are some of my favourite films. Even The Crystal Skull, I really do enjoy it as a film. I like the kind of genre. There's elements of romance, action, adventure. I think there's a lot of good acting as well. And it. not, it's not just the stunts yeah. and the sets that are impressive. A lot of the general acting, I yeah. think, is good quality. And 
I find you, yourself believing in the characters as well. And I just think Ford's a really skillful actor. Yeah. And I know this isn't his most serious film he's done. Like, I suppose The Fugitives or Blade Runner or maybe a couple of his I can't most serious I ones. I didn't mention them, actually. They are yeah. great, aren't they? It, it, sometimes, I mean, I forget off the top of my head to, rem- you know, to remember some of his films that he's been involved in. But that's just a, f- a few that I can mention. But, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, um, I mean, very believable in everything I've seen him in, certainly. Yeah, so as I said, Andy, just brilliant to have you on board. This is uh, something new. Um, it should be a nice little experiment. So we're, we're going to go and watch the film shortly. Um, I'll I'll just remember, of course, to, to mention, we've still got our... It's been a quiet time in terms of reviewing films in Capiche, but we've been, there's been a lot of activity on the website, so... Yeah, if you've not done it before, head to www.capiche.online and um, we've actually now, we've got writ- our own written Bond rankings, our all-time film, best to worst. Um, Steve's been doing some game reviews, so capiche.online, just to repeat it. We're still um, regularly uploading episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, um, a few other mediums here and there. Yeah, and uh, and also if you get the chance to see if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts for or you might know as iTunes, if you get the chance, head along and and review us. Um, give us a if you can a lovely five star review. Um, even leave a few comments because just like any podcast, the more the more good reviews we get, the higher we'll get in the in the the Apple charts. So, um, really appreciate anyone's support listening to this. Right. Um, I think we should get on to cast, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um that's a Harrison Ford, um Kate Capshaw supporting the supporting female lead. I would say that the main villain in the film of the thuggy cult, Amrish Puri is Molaram. Well Molaram's the the central yeah. kind of villain, if you like. I so it's I think they used more of an international cast with this, just with just with the, the actual premise and the the locales and Jonathan is it Kikwan who plays short round is I suppose Indiana's sidekick. Yeah, I suppose he's like the main kind of supporting actor. Yeah. There's a I think there's a lot of extras in the, the role in not the role, sorry, the film. You know, I think it mostly revolves around the the, the three leads or the two leads, obviously Harrison Ford and Kate Capshaw being the the lead female actress. Yeah, and Kate Capshaw, who actually went on to become Steven Spielberg's wife, I think, through this film. Steven Spielberg, back in the director's hot seat. Um, I mean, in terms of production, we've got, I think, a lot of the, the crew from, from Raiders and probably a lot of folk who were involved in the Star Wars trilogy. Obviously, George Lucas was... Res- was George Lucas solely responsible for the story, or was it... I think, I've got a feeling it might have been more of a kind of work in progress as they went along. Well, yeah, do you know about I- that? As far as I'm aware, I think he put together a skeleton story, but the two writers were a, a couple. I can't remember. I can't pronounce their names exactly, but both American who formed the screenplay and it says the story was by George Lucas. And I think Lucas had something to do with the... Well, he must have had some kind of input with the previous film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I don't want to say too much about that because I know that's been covered already, but he was certainly involved in the writing or some of the main ideas for that and the creation yeah. of Indiana Jones as a character, which I yeah. think was based upon, obviously, the film been sent in the mid... Or all three films really been sent in the mid-30s. I think it was inspired by these kind of action-adventure films that you 
were depicted in the cinema around that time, the 1930s or early 40s. Yep, and uh, so 1984, one year after the the ending of the original Star Wars trilogy, which obviously Ford and Lucas and some of the production staff were involved in, so one year after that, and great year for films. <laughs> a great year. I mean, it's a year. I mean, you and me and you. Obviously, we're that's a for us like that's a big year for Hollywood movies, isn't it? Yeah, and I can just think. I mean, there must have been something in the year in 1984. I mean, there was so, in my eyes, there was so many good film, incredibly re- remarkable films came out that year. There's, if you mention Temple of Doom, Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop, The Terminator. You know, it was a, a year there was a lot of real excellent, high-quality films coming out of Hollywood. Jesus Christ, yeah, that, that was some year. You've just reminded me, Andy, Terminator, obviously Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills. Yeah, amazing. Um, and yeah, um, plot-wise, I think this is generally... I, I would say also, just in terms of production, I think about a $28 million budget, roughly, uh, but it made a, a huge box office return, man, $333 million dollars. For 1984, you know, it's yeah. an astronomical amount. I mean, you wonder what it would be in today's terms. Absolutely, man. I mean, that is fantastic. I think, you know, they must have obviously engaged a lot of the people that were into Star Wars and even maybe some Spielberg films, obviously. That I, and again, Steven Spielberg, he's done Jaws. He's done Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. His his portfolio was absolutely fantastic. E.T., of course, in 1982 was a, a massive success as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's one I'll need to look back at. Uh, yeah, I mean, plot-wise, now, uh, this one, interestingly, you can maybe fill me in the gaps, Andy, but um, so Dr. Henry Jones, he's kind of, he's not at his usual university base. He's not even in the States, I think. Does it start in Shanghai? Well, yeah. obviously, now, I should say this is this will be a, a usual spoilerific podcast, um, so if you don't want to know what happens in the film, um, <laughs> stop listening, but yeah, I so it starts in Shanghai, Andy. Yeah, I just what I would say was it, it does begin in Shanghai. I think Jones finds himself overseas, and he's hired by some crime lord who wants him to retrieve. I think the remains of an emperor. I don't know the significance of it, but that, that's why Jones finds himself in China in a casino at the beginning. Actually, somehow and we will get to later on. He ends up is it in, is it actually in India. He, he, he lands in a very a very remote um part of the world, and um, where he, I think he encounters an impoverished village that um they've lost some kind of um they've it's kind of what's what's it happens again. Well, it's basically finding himself. You'll see. You'll all see for yourself if if you see the film at some point in a village in North India. Jones and two of his sidekicks. And he comes across a village who are in need of a sacred stone which possesses powers basically for humanity to fight off evil. I don't know how that manifests, but that's what it is. But the stone is missing, or two of the stones are missing out of five, and I think all five are needed to work. And this has led to children who live in the village to go missing, and at this point no one knows what happens to them. They've just vanished, so... There's obviously some kind of supernatural connection or otherworldly connection with the stones. To be honest with you, a lot of the Jones films, there was this mythology that often involved some kind of archaeological object or artifact that had kind of supernatural or otherworldly powers, I would say. And there was, I would just add, there was always a kind of 
religious context to them as well. Like, yeah, obviously, an Ark of the Covenant. I think in Indiana Jones was yeah. to do with the story of Moses. Yeah, absolutely. The Ten Commandments. Yeah, and um, so yeah, and now just to remind you, it was a very early episode that Scott and Steve a fantastic review they did of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you would need to cycle if you're looking at our recent episodes. If you cycle right back to near the beginning, I think it's about episode seven or eight. Um, you can hear Steve and Scott's thought. So on that, so yeah, um, so we're gonna go and we're gonna watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, the beers are chilling. Um, well, I'm looking forward to this. I've not seen it in a while. Yeah, this should be fun. So we'll come back to give our spoilerific thoughts. We've got a sleepy Labrador in the room as well tonight. I, I, I might add, um, so it's not we're not alone here. Um, yeah. Um, so let's go and watch Indiana Jones. And the Temple of Doom. We are back after watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I'm joined by Andy once again. Um, Steve, you'll be glad to know we've we've now got an extra fan of the podcast, Rana, our Labrador. She she has literally sat in the room we're recording. As soon as we said we were going next door to go and watch the film, she followed us in. As soon as the film was over, we went back in to record and she's followed us in here. So it's safe to say we've got an extra fan of the podcast, standing. Yeah, I would say so. She seems to just follow us everywhere we go and just is glad for the company, I would say. Yeah, I, I, just some very sudden bark there from just at the start. She noticed the, the noise of the speaker turning on. She got a bit alarmed. But, yep. It's very unusual because she's a, a really quiet dog, in all honesty. She doesn't, she wouldn't normally say anything. Yeah, she's settled and listening. Excited to hear what we have to say about Mr. Ford and his, his return as Indy. Um, so, 1984's Temple of Doom. Um, yep. Andy, I I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's, I've seen it um, maybe about the same amount of times I've seen the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, maybe like six or seven, eight times. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say really like blew my mind this time. I got a bit more of the plot this time, so I was able to maybe I wasn't able to enjoy it a little bit better and understand yeah, just how how everything linked. It, yeah, it's um. I would say, see when you think about the initial trilogy of Indiana Jones, this was clearly their Empire Strikes Back. It was like there was a conscious effort just to have a slightly darker film right in the middle of the trilogy. It was it was as if it was to a niche that maybe Spielberg or Lucas had to scratch, because I heard them saying, I think they said before how they wanted to do a darker indie film, and they were going through maybe darker periods of their lives, and it, it was quite a it was quite a dark entry, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say for sure there's, especially, I'd say in the kind of middle third, it's a lot of kind of darkish imagery as well. And just, it's not overtly violent in my opinion, but just there's quite a lot of dark things you wouldn't expect to see. Like, it's violence, but it's more implied violence or off screen. And, you know, obviously the children being enslaved, which we'll discuss in detail later, is quite dark as well. Just a kind of darkish atmosphere not, not like kind of Ghostbusters although Ghostbusters may be more family family friendly in a way if you know what I'm getting at possibly yeah absolutely yeah I mean far darker than Ghostbusters yeah I don't I don't know how to describe it exactly it was more that that middle period of the film that the, the final act was more of a triumphant escape the initial period like a lot of Indiana Jones films the first act was more like Jones 
find trying to find out a bit more about what he was looking for. And um, one thing I liked is was how Harrison Ford's indie. He, um, I, I think, certainly in the, the initial, I think in all four of the Jones films so far, he goes into despite his experience as an archaeologist, he goes into whatever adventure it is, not truly believing in what he's looking for and not truly understanding its powers. But it seems it to be in every one. By the end of it, he's kind of gone an arc and. And he understands the power of it because he said to I, I'm not sure his name, but the the sort of um, the guy who's sort of like the ambassador, the chief villager, if you like, of this impoverished village in India, who um, he he um, speaks to Indy towards the first part of the film and, and explains how the, the missing stones have resulted in this this dark shadow over the village and the children have been slain and everything. And at the end, Indy says to him, "Oh, I understand the." understand its powers now or something to that effect so i, I like that um did, did you pick up on that yeah i just think he's got this relentless enthusiasm in my eyes jones to search and find these artifacts he's always searching looking for clues where they are you know and he he knows the ways to find these various things yeah absolutely and you know a lot of the typical indiana jones tropes of you know just like a, a hidden compartment in a wall like a some something a part of a wall that opens up. I really enjoy. There's there's obviously the typical cavern. There's there's um the typical exotic animals. You know, giant vampire bats, scorpions, these huge weevil things. You know, centipedes. There wasn't really any spiders. Loads of snakes. I mean, that's so. These are like the classic. This was the creepy. I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry, but for me, it was creepy crawlies. Really dominated yeah. this. Oh, I they really did. I it was bugs. Centipedes, you in particular, you know, they're the ones that dominated. I think. Yeah, no, I like that. Cause what would it, you think? What would Indiana Jones be without all the animals? And um, and they're all real animals as well. That that was um, and you know, what was it? Th- there was like thousands of there were like these, but the locusts are are these giant beetles on the floor. And that it's when Kate Capshaw's character Willie Scott, she um follows Jones into the cavern. Like they were they were all they all looked like real insects. I think they were. I think they were on the whole. I think there was the odd kind of static prop that was maybe a bug or large moth or centipede perhaps. Yeah. But on, they look they looked pretty real, but I did notice they had a, a dummy of Cape Capshaw, it seemed, and there was bugs moving through that. Obviously it'd be problematic going through a real hair, which you can understand why the actress yeah. wouldn't want to participate in that. Yeah, one one of my. Was, oh, sorry, Gordon. Just to continue on your point, I think the darkness added to these scenes with the creepy crawlies and the kind of cavernous environment. You know, it yeah. just gave a kind of atmosphere. And John Williams' music, because I think his score maybe excelled in the kind of slower scenes in the caverns when he's you know he's discovering skeletons, you know, insects, things like that. Um, We'll get on to score later because there was a couple of things we touched upon there that we should maybe expand on, really. Um, and I was going to say as well, we'll come back to Willie Scott later, who's Kate Capshaw's female lead. Because um, one of my first impressions after watching Andy was um, I went into it thinking that she's going to be too annoying. She wasn't as annoying as I thought she was going to be. I, I, I found... I had I had this image in my head as her being more of a distraction, but um, yeah, I, I I thought she was fine, really. <laughs> yeah, for me, she definitely lived up to the part. She's a bit of a damsel in distress, always complaining about things, and I think she was used to 
you know, having a lifestyle of things she wanted and all these material things. And but you know, I think she looked great and just served served the role well. And there was good chemistry between her and Jones. Quite a bit of humour, and she couldn't believe this primitive environment she was having to adapt to and be a part of. But no choice but to go along with it. But I, I thought she was fine. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'd better give a bit of um, plot to uh, to make this so this makes a bit more sense. But, but yeah, as, as we touched upon in the preamble, Doctor Henry Jones is out in Shanghai. Um, this uh, villain, if you like, who hired him, Lao, has um has tricked him and poisoned him. He ends up escaping from his sort of it's like a. a a ballroom nightclub lair. He he ends up him and Willie Scott end up completely by accident in this remote area of India, and they're escaping a cargo they're escaping plane. A plane. After yeah. a, there's a there's a car chase through streets of Shanghai, which is a bit. It's not really that thrilling in my eyes. It's it's yeah. good enough though, but it's a bit kind of comedic, similar yeah. to Roger Moore Bonds, <laughs> really. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Um, that was one of the scenes in the film where I switched off, and it was early on, and I was really engaged in the film, and that car chase I really didn't care about from the first moment. It was actually a great reveal of Short Round, and I love the way um, like he turns his cap on and puts his foot in the gas in the car, and he's got this big brick to allow him to his foot to reach the accelerator, which I thought was great. But see, as soon as that happened, I just didn't care about that car chase. I really, I, It's funny, that's one of the things actually... I thought the action scenes in this film would thrill me a bit more than they did. I preferred a lot of the dialogue scenes and a lot of the just a lot of the character scenes. But yeah, I'll I'll speak to you about your thoughts on that shortly, Andy. But as I was saying about the plot, so they end up in India, and um, so Kate Capshaw she's completely a, a fish out of water. I love the fact that she's dragged into this. She's she's just this regular person that gets caught up in it and it's just, I think it's just because she re- she must realise that she has to escape Lao uh, because in- Indy's just fucked everything right up um, with his uh, because he's been double crossed by Lao but um, yeah so they end up completely thrown into this situation now um, which leads them completely by accident to this impoverished village where it's explained that the the village has just fallen through um it's kind of scene of scene of devastation i mean i found that was quite powerful indiana jones arriving there was quite a bad atmosphere you can tell something really awful's happened and there's a lot of suffering and i think they conveyed that quite well absolutely yeah i mean the the crash land here so india arrives on his next adventure by accident which is so different to the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and as we'll see the next couple of films, and he ends up in in this Indian temple, which leads him into the, the caverns where he discovers where these uh, these mystical stones actually are, and subsequently escapes. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to, I think we should, yeah, we should go back to actually to Shanghai, Andy. I think um, I, that was actually one of the highlights of the film. The whole it was. And again, I'm going to use a lot of Bond parallels because I know for a fact Steven Spielberg he was he was influenced by Bond in creating the and Lucas Hank as well creating the Indiana Jones character. The whole Shanghai it was very much uh, like a Bond pre-titles and especially the way that it was reflecting at first in a mission that was unconnected to this mission. Um, but I, I thought it was very thrilling, and obviously it slows down a bit by the time he. He lands in in India, but um, what were your impressions of the the whole Shanghai opening? 
I think it was really effective, and I think one thing I enjoyed about it is this kind of plush interior contrasted to the rest of the film when it's kind of jungle environments and in a dark temple. I think it's good. There's quite a bit of tension when you realise Jones is about to be double-crossed and his life's in jeopardy, and when he's bluffing that he's going to hold Willie Scott hostage and he's holding a knife to you know he is bluffing and he's not really doing, he's not really serious about doing that. It's just obviously so he can avoid the fate that of, you know, being assassinated or been threatened. But I also think the way he escapes is, is thrilling, but it's a bit too comedic and just him hiding behind that big kind of, almost like a gong when there's Tommy gun fire being yeah. hit at him is a bit daft. And, but, you know, the, I think the lighting's good and the... The music's good how it's kind of 1930s vaudeville or like yeah, Broadway, Broadway, Broadway show music been on. Obviously, Kate Capshaw's one of the dancers and it's that kind of dance routine. I mean, it, I think that's just right for the time because obviously it's set in 1935. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you, Andy, about pretty much everything you've said. That Yeah, very tense. The standoff between Dr. Jones and Lau um, and the intu- I love Indy's intuition, um, you know, to immediately grab her just because she just happens to be there. I love how if if uh, if Willie wasn't at that table being introduced to Jones, she would have never got caught up in any of this. That's one that you get so many great films where you get characters that are just thrown into terrible situations. It's kind of like Speed with um with uh, Sandra Bullock's character, for example, because she because she happens to be on the bus. Do you know what I mean? I, I really like that. Um. I actually think the Lau character, I think he was a great villain. I think it's like, unfo- he was so charismatic. It was un- and so dangerous looking. It was unfortunate that he wasn't the villain of the whole piece. Yeah, he used menace. I, I would say he is. Do you think he's a bit of a stereotypical villain in some ways? I guess so. Yeah, they gave him the the big moustache and everything. Um, like so probably made by his own mob of guards. I read, in, yeah, I read. In, I think it was Wikipedia. There might be sons. Actually, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I agree with you. Yeah, pretty. I don't think you'll find a more comedic scene in any of the Indiana Jones films than the whole. Jones is poisoned. He has to find the antidote. But the dialogue is brilliant because that table standoff is like one of my. It's one of my highlights of the film. Actually, I love and the the comedy and the. And the danger, like, um, I love the whole right. Give me the diamonds. No, you give me the um, the stone, is it? And and yeah, and then it, and like then it's remnants of that emperor, whatever that contained. Yeah, and then he hand he swivels the table, and the, even the swiveling the table is one of these things that kind of adds to the drama. Um, he gives Jones an antidote, and he goes an antidote to what? And he goes the poison that you just drank, Doctor Jones, and he, he starts laughing, and that that like. I don't know how you describe it. That's like black comedy. And then Jones realises that he's been poisoned. He has to find the antidote. And yeah, it's very comedic. The dancers are still dancing. He's sliding across the floor. And of course, Willie Scott thinks she's looking for the diamond. He's looking for the antidote. And of course, she's getting in a panic. But to me, it's, it's a well-structured scene and yeah. for all the kind of chaos in it. It's, it's very well planned out, you know, for the way that we would perceive it in the cinema. It, it looks good on screen. And it works in the world of Indiana Jones, even though he's wearing a tuxedo, which is obviously another Bond nod. But um, with just with the charisma of Harrison Ford, it works. And I think even the way it's introduced is tremendous because you have the this um, how do you describe it? One one of the 
the standard tropes of Indiana Jones is the Paramount logo and it it fades into I think it's the big kind of gong in this club. It's like a mountain structure on the gong, I think. Yeah, and or something like that. And the the dance scene, obviously, Willie Scott's like the lead dancer. Uh, the it's a bit elongated, but um, you know, I like the the song. If it's a nice, it kind of eases you into the film quite well. Um, that that dance goes on like for over a minute or something. And there's again similar to Raiders of the Lost Star, a great re- slow review of of Harrison Ford's indie, you know, you just see his legs at first and then his face is revealed when he sits down at the table, which I really like. It's, it's just, he's great as the character of Jones. You know, he he pulled it off excellently, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I've got little complaints about that whole kind of opening apart from maybe did get a bit too comedic. Even when the stunt doubles, obviously, for Kate Capps, Sean Ford, like, sliding out several floors from this high building, you know, it didn't... The, obviously, um, clever photography disguised it. Even when we were watching it in HD or Blu-ray, if you like, and, you know, there was no obvious stunt doubles or anything like that. Yeah. There was drama to it as well. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I do think it gets a bit comedic and you you can easily switch off to it, but it, in terms of how it looks physically, it was well done, yeah. Just kind of falling from level to level from a building and then onto a kind of street car chase through crowded streets in Shanghai. I don't think it's anything too spectacular, but I suppose it, it serves its purpose in the movie for getting to where we want to go next or what we see. Yeah, definitely. And there was actually a great introduction to the short round, who is the, the child um sort of supporting um ally of indiana jones <laughs> there was even a bit of a reveal of him um oh, this kind of slow reveal thing which i liked and yeah that was pretty cool um i mean I, I, you do wonder how he knows jones yeah. it's a bit ridiculous but that's something we'll never know in a modern day film you can't really imagine this like child um ally he's not related by blood or anything it's not like he's his nephew or something but um he came along for the ride <laughs> yeah um, I'm sure. I don't know if they cut this out of the version we saw on Sky Cinema. They did. Ah, I, I thought there might be certain things that were cut out, and I don't know if this was um from like a cultural point of view. I'm sure the scene when it's when they rest overnight early in the film, him and Willie, and um in short rounds they're, they're riding the elephants. He says, um, I think she says, "How do you know?" And he says something like, "I caught him. He was trying to pick my pocket somewhere." And it, I, th- I think there's a uh, maybe because of cultural stereotypes, they removed that. But I, I remember, I remember that. Um, I remember that from um, watching it previously, maybe in DVD. And Jones, you maybe didn't get this so much in Raiders of the Lost start, but been a really good Samaritan in this film because he, a lot of compassion about him. Perhaps. Very compassion. Yeah, a lot of compassion. I mean, because at first um, he, when he comes to this village, he's. He feels it's a bit. It would be a bit of a stretch for. He's just happened to crash here <laughs> off the plane, and he feels like it would be a bit of a stretch for him to get involved and try. As much as he feels it's terrible that all these families' childrens have gone, children have gone missing. He doesn't really want to get involved in it. But then there's there's a starving kid comes staggering up to him in the middle of the night, and that that like seems to be what um, convinces him that he has to do this. And so, and then of course you see him saving excuse me, all these thousands of children. And obviously what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, it, you know, it, it has it maybe makes you notice these things more, you know, um, 
So the, maybe there's a sense of realism in the film as well in that regard, but yeah, um, maybe saw extra sides to to Indy in this film. Yeah, I would say so. It, it makes him certainly more of a kind of perhaps three-dimensional character. You know, he's romantic, but obviously he's looking out for this young boy as well, and he's got kind of a comradeship with him as well in a way as well. Yeah, and I, I really like the short run character. A lot of people have their own opinions about um the, the background to character age, culture, etc. Um but I just found them a lot of fun. Obviously another excellent child actor. Um and he's he's totally fearless. He's he's intuitive. He's like just I love I think it was a deliberate thing to make him like a young indie. And I don't know if it was maybe done from the point of view they could make him a recurring character in another film, but um, he's like his kind of support when the chips are down, I find. Yeah, he's like his kind of, I know this sounds silly, his assistant manager or right-hand man. I know, <laughs> he is, and he even has his own hat, which is a nice, neat little parallel. He is his baseball cap, and Indy has his, um, what is it you call it, the kind of hat he wears? The... I, I don't know how to describe yeah. it exactly, but just It'll... like in a hunter's Hat or yeah. something like that. And there's a nice one of the one of the best scenes in the film maybe is um after Indy recovers from the sort of black magic that takes him over, Short Round actually saves him. I like when he replaces Short Round's hat in his head and he gives Indy his hat. Is it a Fedora hat, maybe you call anyway I, I never I never noticed that in all honesty. Yeah, that was quite a good scene, I think. Um but um, I, I enjoyed the short run character. I didn't have any real issues with the character. And, uh, I, yeah, just very engaging. I thought it was different. I thought it was, like, fine for this one. I wouldn't have wanted him coming back in The Last Crusade or something. But as much as a, we've said a lot, Andy, a lot of positive things so far, but as much as I enjoyed him, like... I was I would, just going to... Sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say I would have enjoyed a bit a bit of Salah. You know, um, obviously Jonathan Rhys Davis's character in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I kind of the film maybe missed a character like him. Even you know, maybe Marcus Brody been in it for a brief scene might have been good. Yeah, and it's just good to see what qualities these characters have, or aspects of their personalities, and how like Indiana reacts to them in in terms of his relationship with them. But at the same time, maybe it has to be realistic. You can't expect Salah to just appear anywhere in the globe. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Because Indy... <laughs> yeah. In- Indy just appeared in India by accident. And, and I like that how he appears there because he he goes onto this plane and um, I think it's, it's brilliant. You think, like, Lau's done with it. He sees India getting in the plane and he's... he's brilliant shot. Again, the one notable bit of great cinematography um, there. Indy kind of sarcastically saying farewell wow and then the door shuts and it kind of zooms out and it's like Lao Airways or something like that and he's again Lao's one last chuckle as Jones he goes like, goodbye Dr. Jones exactly uh, <laughs> oh, like I say he's a great villain um, and then up in the plane it's another real bit of silly comedy but um, Jones we see another example how Indiana Jones is not a superhero he's a fallible character and he switches off. He, f- he literally falls asleep um, 
Willie falls asleep, short round falls asleep. The pilots um, abandon the plane and leave him in the middle of the air. And then, like, uh, Willie's the first character to get up, and she, this is quite slapstick. She looks out the cockpit and realizes the plane's unmanned, and she just wakes him up as if, like, he slept in for work or something. And then she she doesn't just say, like, do something now. She actually leads him to the cockpit for a, a few seconds later, then he notices it's going down. And there is a bit of tension in that scene, but it's not. It's not exactly frightening, I would say. Or it's quite a, it's a real kind of trope in action films. Plane run out of fuel, no parachutes. I just think it's a kind of elaborate way of, is it Lao Chase called to dispose of them? It's just a, yeah. a waste of a plane and everything. I don't, and yeah. for his men to have to take the risk of cutting the fuel and dumping out, but I suppose they have to come up with some original things in films. Yeah. You can't just always have the same kind of ways of trying to assassinate people and so forth. Yeah, and what was very original, obviously, about Temple of Doom is the fact, and it's not like what happens in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark in The Last Crusade. He um, gets a sort of briefing and then gets sort of employed. If you go here, that your mission is to find this. He falls in this by accident. It's, it's subverting, maybe, what you would expect to happen. And... And one thing I love about that is how when he's had a conversation with the villagers and, they, and he he kind of alludes like he's, he's heard about these sacred stones, um, but it's the fact that he's thrown in it and he he, he would have never realised he would be thrown into it that day. And because he's stuck, he's got no transport, he's stuck in the middle of nowhere, he realises he's no choice. That That's quite endearing about this film. And that's why I think if you look at the initial trilogy, Last Crusade's a bit more similar to Raiders because he's battling Nazis. He, he's more more of a regular mission. But this one is darker. This one, he's thrown into a, a really kind of unideal situation. So if you think about the Star Wars, the initial trilogy, Empire was the middle one. Empire was the dark one, which was a bit different. But then the other two were maybe a bit more similar. So I think there's parallels in the Indiana Jones trilogy with that. Yeah, I I would say so. Um, one one of the other aspects I would say about this, so he ends up in Pancock Palace. Just I think because of circumstances. Remember they they find statues and there's a lot of dark goings on and the the animals, like even the elephants, flee away from it and. There's a kind of shower of vampire bats, kind of almost like a cloud of a flock of them, and that yeah. kind of the movement of them leads them to the palace. Or they I don't know. Does he not? Is there not something alluded to in the film? He has to get there to get to Delhi because he needs he to get home at that point. He needs to get to Delhi, but then obviously because he learns about what's happened with this village and the stones that are missing and that they've been taken away, and the the fact that the children have disappeared yeah. as well. I love how and you get this in the other indie films he jones is improvising and he's been thrown into this situation so like you said andy that's a good point he he's on the way to delhi anyway and he gets told well um what is it the whatever the palace is is on the way hancock palace, hancock palace yeah and he, yeah he almost stumbles across it and yeah i love the photography of the vampire bats i don't they looked pretty real to me actually but um where they it's were like dark imagery i think but yeah. what what's funny though is you you would think that's like um foreshadowing something that would happen later in the film you would imagine how it shows these distant shots of these giant bats that they would come back and there'd be a real tense scene with them later in the film it's odd how they didn't come back no i think there was a, a kind of campfire scene before they end up in the palace when 
Willie Scott, there's one kind of grabs her and she shoes away. Of course, she's screaming. Remember, there's various oh, animals. Right, well spotted, yeah. I never, I, I kind of knew it was a bat, but I didn't really think of that. But the photography of the bat's like, it was actually uh, slow motion, but that kind of worked quite well. That was another great. Douglas Slocum was was back as the principal photographer. As he, I think he did all the indie films. He was certainly he did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but that that was a a good example. I think of his dynamic photography. Yeah, I think so. It, it's very detailed. I mean, a lot of the close ups as well with yeah the characters and just cinematography of the landscape. I would say as well. Yeah, it was very. When I say dynamic, there was a lot of there was a lot of close up shots, but there was a lot of kind of medium distance shots. There was a lot of very distant ones, like uh, big kind of landscape panning cameras. A lot of like zooming in and out. It, you know, it was quite varied. Uh, you know, sup- obviously superb on location filming, but and because Andrew, we've obviously been we've been fairly gushing about this film since we started, but you know, we've got obviously mentioned things that aren't so good, and we both throughout the film uh, mention this to each other some quite distracting map paintings now you know as a way of showing the landscape but not showing the real thing and obviously I think it was more obvious to us because we were watching in HD but I forgot how much of it there was and how distracting it was there was quite a few in particular some it wasn't so prominent it looked very kind of realistic but others it was quite noticeable but i would give them a pass in my opinion because in 1984 or was it maybe late 83 they were filming it you didn't have much other options and i've been quite a prominent critic in recent years of how films are dominated with cgi and i think they take away total totally the realism and a lot of and really detract from films you know I, I have a lot of issues with cgi and i think it's very unrealistic in a lot of ways and rather than enhancing scenes yeah you, yeah well said andy you've um you've said what i was about to say like on the other hand of that uh yeah for, for the technology they had in 1984 it was all right it wasn't intended to be seen in this format which is kind of what i was saying we saw it in blu-ray and the, you know you gotta say they're still pretty good paintings they may be matte paintings but they're they're pretty amazing paintings but yeah it's still better than a lot of the really unrealistic CGI you get now even maybe we'll get onto a future date Kingdom of the Crystal Skull maybe one of the worst examples of CGI in a film in recent memory well, you are right in saying that but there's some atrocious and CGI in Terminator 3 I'm sorry there's I've not seen that for a long time <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was a golden era for, for films in the mid-80s, especially that kind of action-adventure genre. So, yeah, we've spoken a bit about cinematography. Uh, Andy, let's speak a bit about music. So, John Williams, we've um, said a lot about. Yeah, it was very good, very Star Wars-esque at times. Um, the darker cues, I probably enjoyed the most. The kind of, It's like chanting monks inside the catacombs during the these black magic rituals the whole carry ma carry ma and all this oh, I'm so <laughs> yeah um at first it's some kind of unknown um villager and then then secondly it's actually willie scott both of them getting lowered in this cage into this fiery pit and it's it actually it's like the definition of how you think hell would really look but the music that was m- maybe where the music excelled i thought yeah but the fire and the light that I just think he was very, very consistent, John Williams, and I don't know how he does it. I mean, he is really unrivaled. 
you must be able to only be able to write so many versions of original music, but he manages to do and get it to fit with the the picture. Some of the music's a bit too light. And I've, over the years, I have seen a lot of John Williams' films that he's been involved in, and I do I do sometimes tired of music with brass and strings because I've just heard heard so much of similar music he's done, but it serves the purpose for the music for the film really really well. I just think some bits in the film, in this particular film, to me, work better than others. But who am I to criticize? I mean, I can't compose music. Obviously, he can, you know. So it's just an opinion, really. Yeah. No, you made great points there, Andy. And you, you mentioned when we were watching it. It, it seemed to me like you thought the music was a bit brassy and a bit too distracting. Some maybe around about the scene of the minecart chase and when some of the children were getting freed in, in the caves did you so yeah but at the same time i i sometimes criticize elements of this music but it was aimed at a kind of parental guidance audience so you won't kind of light you would expect light-hearted music that would appeal to children and families and just because i don't like in particular scenes doesn't mean it's wrong really at the end of the day yeah of course and you made a, a good point the other day that yeah, you could give John Williams any film and he would enhance it massively. It's like the way John Barry enhanced films massively. You know, it's like one... He's so gifted. Yeah, he's so gifted, yeah. Um, and like maybe like Alan Silvestri and, um, you know, guys like Jerry Goldsmith, they fall into that same bracket. Because you, you said something recently, like an everyday situation, like me and you walking the dog in Dunoon or something like that, that you could get John Williams to perfectly capture the mood of that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think his, his music is spectacular in every film he does. I don't think... This might not have been his his best Jones script. Maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was thinking maybe maybe Last Crusade gets a bit too comedic and light. You were talking about this kind of lighter music he does. but And the reason I find his music so hard to de- describe is because it has an otherworldly feel. It's unique. And I think when something is so unique and a signature to one particular composer that's why it's so hard to describe it's like i know it's good but i don't know why it's so good yeah i just think he's a master in my opinion of conveying an emotion through his music absolutely you know and there's so many instances of that in this this film like some of the romantic music like so with willie scott i think he does a great example of you know in the melody and yeah that that was actually it may have been a better romantic cue than I mean, I like I like the the Marion theme in Rage of the Lost Stark, um, but it was a bit too much like the Princess Leia theme. At least um, the the one for the the Willy scenes, she was um, more it, it was more original sounding, maybe or something. But I think um, cause I, I was going to say a wee bit about um, Kate Capshaw's character. Um, yeah, I thought I thought she was pretty good. I got to say because she was there for a purpose. It's, it's like you could say, for example, certain. Bond girls, it's a similar principle like Britt Eklund and Man with the Golden Gun for example, it's the way the character is written is a, a bit of a bimbo and a, visually striking maybe yeah, visu- oh yeah, visually striking throwing a regular girl thrown into an abnormal situation caught up in the madness I think for all, for how the character was written, you couldn't really got a better actress to to depict that than Kate Capshaw. I mean, the comedy, like, she, you know, she genuinely made me laugh a lot. The lines some were the cleverly written. Good. The script was yeah. great, yeah. Just, there's some of the stuff she was, obviously, 
disgusted and shocked to have to be sitting in an elephant. But remember, she was spraying with perfume. She says, like, don't complain. This is expensive stuff. Yes. Aye, that was great. And um, she says, it's like in the middle of that village, she's talking about calling her agent. And she's saying, I usually have a house with a beautiful garden and all this. And and I, I liked the kind of... Um, the, the, set, the scene um, when you're convinced that her and Indy are going to go to bed with each other. And then I love the way it just suddenly becomes fiery again, the relationship, just like a flick of a switch. She's like, she's like, if you think I'm that easy to get, you can think again, Dr. Jones or whatever. And then he, he kind of huffily goes off to his room. And then there's that whole... Um, switching the camera between each of their rooms and it's like nice. they're it's both nice like but they're bo- that, yeah. yeah they're both like sort of um huffy teenagers i quite like that and how he thinks she's gonna go to his room and she thinks he's gonna go to her room and then he's getting attacked and she doesn't realize what's going on i mean that was maybe one of the best examples of comedy in the film yeah i would say so and it's quite funny how it's a obviously a, a film that would have been viewed by a lot of families and children but there is that kind of sexual tension between the two but it's kind of done in a a light-hearted way yeah um and it doesn't it doesn't become too distracting um you're immediately and i like the way it just quickly leads to indy discovering this secret room in the caves and then there's that situation a real huge indy's an absolute terrible peril with the, the huge spikes coming down the cave and then i think maybe that's where <laughs> maybe the it gets a bit too comedic when she's um, like fumbling around trying to find the lever to stop it, but she doesn't actually realise that his life's in danger and Short Round's life's in danger. Maybe that's the influence of George Lucas's writing, because it was a very similar scene in the first Star Wars when it was not Luke and Han were almost crushed to death. I think Chewbacca as well in the trash compactor and the Death Star, and obviously... Lucas that was involved in the writing. Yeah. That's so it's a similar, very, very similar kind of idea, but I would say Yeah, there's got to be a link there, I think. But I mean what one I do think there's a hell of a amount of time elapses from these spikes which are apparently moving down very quickly from the roof. They seem to take a long time then to reach the ground, but well that's the that's the just films and your Sometimes you just need to dis- suspend your disbelief and let the the editing and the camera work do the talking. But um, I like those scenes of Indy being genuine peril. But at the same time, I didn't get much out of the minecart chase. I didn't feel he was in terrible peril there. And, like distracting. And it was more, yeah, and it was more elaborate and um, in large scale. But it just, I just didn't really care about it. Um, but then this very simple scene with Indy been crushing this little room. I didn't even care about the Star Wars parallels, and I've seen A New Hope a million times. You know, I, I got a lot more from that scene. The, the whole minecart chase, I just didn't really care for. Yeah, I would say so. There is a good scene, though, with the bit when it's like the roof's coming in on him in short rounds, and they're about to be crushed with spikes, and I think Willie... She finds, although she's getting attacked by bugs, does she find some kind of lever in the stone to allow it to stop to get them out in time? And, and there's a good bit of tension, remember, when her and Indy go through a gap, short rounds already through by this point, and he almost gets crushed by the, the wall coming down to floor level, and he manages, of course, as you would expect, to pull even not just get through, but pull his hat out. Yeah, I, I mean, so silly and unrealistic, but you got to have those moments in the Indiana trilogy, the Indiana quadrilogy. Yeah, I mean, you you have to have some light-hearted 
can't at the end I'll, of the, I'll I'll that take moment. this film too seriously yeah yeah of course um yeah there's a couple of moments of that i mean people may maybe see this as the most comedic of the indiana jones films maybe this or the last crusade but you gotta say um raiders of the lost stark which we both watched quite recently a better film but it, it has its fair share of comedy you look at that that scene like for example um with indy and and marion in the in the bar and or ordering a a whiskey basically for her to throw the the bottle at the villain for example you know the but um i think in, uh Rangers of the lost art maybe got the balance more correct yeah but you know kind of tonally how these films are gonna go yeah um this it was slightly different tonally and, and andy don't be afraid to say you know comparisons between this and raiders because obviously scott and steve reviewed raiders uh, we know what's happened in that so it's good to compare films we did that with our bond rankings you know um i do much prefer raids of the lost star but yeah i mean i, I got a lot out of this i'll probably get more out of the action scenes in in raiders just one thing i would quickly add is it's a small detraction but i just find the catacomb scene before he gets to the actual what you would describe as temple of doom it's just it's this kind of cave environment with the walls. It's like, how many times have we seen that in an Indiana Jones film? Do you not think that is quite predictable? The kind of environment is in these kind of dank caves, you know, with... Yeah, but it didn't. that didn't really occur to me while I was watching. I thought it was fine. And like you said, the, the set decor is superb capturing. As much as we said, there's quite a bit of green screen in this film, which you notice more in Blu-ray or HD. But And then there's the matte paintings to capture large landscapes but the caves look like real caves that i think the the most spectacular set of all was that the sort of room of i don't know what you call it, the big the big black magic rituals the big fiery pit that and all the sm- the smoke coming out fantastic special effects john williams music possibly its peak there i thought that was really good yeah i think that was superbly done you can't really argue with that it did look like a it, it looked like a genuine, like, fiery underground temple, really. Yeah, um, or how you think they would look. I've not yeah. been in many myself, but it's like, uh, yeah, like I said, it's like them. The, <laughs> it's like the embodiment of hell, yeah. Um, the lighting as well, dark, yeah. bright red and yellow, just... I don't think back in 1984 you could have done it any better. I think it was a great set design yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was fantastic, and I thought the the main I, I forgot how much of a a role he had in this film, but Molaram, the main, I guess he's the main villain or henchman type, but he's like the the thuggy priest character who leads all the rituals, and he's just he's just he feels like the embodiment of evil. Um, played by Amrish Puri, you know, I thought he was he was a brilliant character, and uh, he had that intense look. I think the fact I enjoyed every dark, scene. It was in dark cave-like environments, which made me made him look more of a threat as well. And the lighting to add to it, and yeah, quite definitely. An imposing guy, and with the yeah. makeup. Well, when I say it was quite kind of light makeup, wasn't it? Just red and black and that sort of thing, but it still added to the yeah. yeah, that great physicality as well. Yeah, that's for sure. It was quite an imposing tall fellow. So yeah, for definite there. Yeah, and, and sorry, just to add is. <laughs> I keep going on about this, but his eyes as well. He this intense look. He looked like a crazed guy. Yeah, I think so. He. Uh, I also liked the fact that 
if you think back to the the dinner scene was quite good when Indy comes across the palace and its plush exterior and and big dining area and there's a, there's this prince guy who I don't know if he's like you said you think he's like more like the sort of prime minister type character there's him there's the there's the very young prince character but Maharaj they call him sorry might be no it's okay um might be um the two of them make out that that they are these sort of Samaritans and that things have changed and all this is just hope sorry to interrupt though they they thought at that time as the young prince was describing that all this thuggy cult had died out where children were enslaved and unspeakable things happened but I think it becomes clear that there is a manifestation between the loss of the stones and what's happened to these children but there's a bit of a cover up going on in that palace which and Jones learns a bit of the backstory during the process of this dinner I don't know know if I fully explained it No, well done because one of the most thrilling aspects to me Andy was how those two characters I mentioned you when it's already intense enough, you've you've got Molaram like putting Indy into the they basically make him drink the poison that he falls into the dark sleep of the Karima and at that point um the stakes are already quite high, but then you when Indy's in the middle of this big ritual, the prince and the sort of prime minister character appear and you realise that they're part of this and that I think that really ups the stakes at that point. Yeah, I think so and you can tell Ford he was he was going through kind of what they depict as physical torture or having to take this antidote and be under the spell of the the, the thuggy cult. Yeah, and it's an angle of the the Doctor Jones character that we never t- came any close to seeing at all in Raiders of the Lost Ark that he suddenly become evil through drinking this poison and I thought first of all the way sh- the short round for such a young kid uses his own intuition to escape from that the big he's like been used as a child slave rescues loads of other children he goes in this this mental escape mission he frees Jones and he, again like at first he, he tries to rouse Jones and he, he hits him which is quite like that's quite dark so Indiana Jones like hitting a child but then uh, short round gets up and then he he just instinctively grabs that's the a great scene I think yeah that's a yeah maybe my best favorite scene in the film he grabs the like the big log with the flame at the end and puts in June's heart and that kind of rouses him and makes him become normal again and then just to me is sorry to interrupt but just the way he says it he turns round away from the camera and so none of the villains can see him he just says I'm alright kid yeah and I you like know, that you know at this point that Jones been brainwashed it's, it's over and he's back to his normal self yeah I think that's really good I love the fact we saw his other angle to a dark Indiana Jones that he could even he could become evil but then you're just so relieved to see him back to normal again um, and then of course there's the whole thing about him it's one of the maybe the best thing that Indiana Jones ever done from a human point of view rescuing thousands or millions at least thousands of of child slaves and they're able to be reunited with their families at the end which is just great and but at the same time that's when i think the film loses a bit of momentum i think once jones escapes from peril he rescues willie she gets her out of the situation i feel a lot of the mystery's gone at that point and that final act of the film 
weaker in my yeah. opinion. Sorry, let you continue. Yeah, yeah, this. you're right. It is. It just um, it loses something. The mystery's gone. It's just like you know he's gonna escape, and then that leads me to the seeing the giant drawbridge. Now, the first thing I want to point out is up to this point, short round's been this very clever. We know he's just a kid at the end of the day, but so far he's been this very clever, intuitive little boy. And then he he it's quite immature. He suddenly says turns to Will and he's like, oh look at this and he's like jumping up and down the bridge like, and then he he causes himself to almost fall through the bridge like that that doesn't feel in keeping with the way he was earlier yeah I, I think so because he seems quite subtle and careful and he can he has instinct and yeah. intuition the giant bridge now that um, is I suppose that's maybe quite an iconic scene in the film I think it's brilliant the way that Jones is caught in the middle between the enemies at either side there's a couple of things up with this though. Now, first of all, Samola so Ram, I think he's he's right behind Willie in short round and at, and he's got a giant sword. He I would have thought he could have just caught the two of them and held like put the like put the sword to her throat or something. That would have like maybe made Indy give the stones back, but he doesn't do that. He just kinda stands with them and gets the enemies to approach Jones at either side and on the other hand, I think it's it's fantastic the way Jones escapes with the giant sword, but I think it's very it becomes comes very slow paced for about twenty seconds. You know what he's going to do about twenty to thirty seconds before it actually happens. Obviously, he cuts the sides of the bridge and causes them to fall, the bridge to break in two. But I think what could have been done better is like just to make that happen very quickly him just to make some turn and then a quick gesture to short gesture to short round he grabs on the side of the bridge Willie grabs on the side of the bridge but it's done so it's done a bit too slow there which it loses its momentum a little bit yeah it's hard to picture back in my mind exactly what you were describing but I think there's a lot of, there's a fair bit of green screen as well which doesn't help although it's a great it's a really edgy location I think the drawbridge and that kind of gorge but yeah, there's does something not happen like the the stone lights up and causes Moloram to fall into the water with the crocodiles. That was pretty good in the fact that not only are you falling from a huge height, but there's crocodiles and alligators at the bottom of it. I agree with Andy like about the green screen, and I think actually even when I watched this in regular DVD on a regular telly. I found the green screen was quite obvious in bits there, so that's maybe one of the bits that could have been better, but. But yeah, and another thing I don't really get is does Indy not have three of the stones but two of them fall? But it's like it's like it's oh it's no big deal. He goes back with one of them and nobody's bothered. Yeah, because I thought they needed the five of these stones. Yeah, that's what I thought. To, for humanity to fight against evil forces. Yeah, and it's like it's two of them fall, but I get that it may be, it might have been for the greater good if it got rid of the main enemy, but it's just like it's forgotten about. It's a bit weird. It, it is kinda good how the 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 British Army Colonel or whoever he is, how he, you think he's a nothing character early on, but him and his men turn up to pretty much save Jones. Yeah, I think that's good script writing and a good bit of continuity. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very good. And I was just going to ask you, can you tell me because I never focused on this too much when I saw it earlier on tonight. How does how do the British forces save them precisely? I think it's just that. I mean, I was again. It's an action scene, and in action scenes, in some films, I can switch off a bit because I prefer some of the dialogue scenes. And I, I maybe wasn't completely on the ball here, but he certainly his his army turned up with crossbows 
to fire at the enemies, which I don't know if that allowed Indy to climb up the ladder, maybe. But as you said, it's it's good scripting, the foreshadowing of that guy appearing earlier on. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And there's a notable film critic. I had a brief read earlier on today on the review he did at the time of Indiana Jones and he did say about the non-stop action and I think there is a point in this film particularly from the middle onwards or once he's in the temple it is kind of non-stop action and I don't find they're all positive things I just think it can be hard to keep up with and focus on because there is just in my opinion too many action scenes a lot of them are great but you know we do love to see dialogue scenes as well yeah I totally agree with you even some some of the subtle comedy touches were more memorable to me than some of the action scenes in saying that I'm I don't want to be pedantic given the dross that comes out of cinemas these days you know because this was that time when they were making great films they had a really great thing going with Hollywood films and just there's not the same craft today but i suppose that's an argument for another day isn't it it is indeed andy it is indeed and i think one before i go into a, just a general summary of the film to talk about harrison ford himself again i really enjoyed his depiction of indy uh, he had his usual wry wit i thought there was a, there was a fantastic chemistry between him and kate capshaw's character it wasn't quite maybe him and Karen Allen in Raiders of the Lost Ark but you know there, there there was a great chemistry between them I like the way he used his whip he always uses his whip for every kind of purpose he kind of like draws her back towards him that's quite funny um, just he's some fantastic one-liners I thought yeah he just he, he was so confident and self-assured you can't really imagine anyone else in the, the role but but Harrison Ford I'll let you say about yeah I mean I just totally concur with everything you're saying there Gordon that I just think he was perfect for the part. Uh, funnily enough, I think before Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was conceived when they didn't have an actor to play the lead character of Indiana Jones. I think it was maybe Spielberg said, or was it Lucas? Or, I, th- I think it was Spielberg. Or we couldn't go for Harrison Ford because everyone knows him as Han Solo, but what do you know? They, they cast him as Indiana Jones and the, the die set, really. I just think he carried the physicality, he did well, the romance scenes, uh, he just looks really natural in them, he's just very, very believable as a character. Mate, that's a brilliant point, because I think, arguably, Harrison Ford's two biggest roles were Indiana Jones and Han Solo, but see, when I when I watch him as Indiana Jones, I don't think I'm seeing Han Solo, and when I see him as Han Solo, I don't think I'm watching Indiana Jones, they, they're in their own world, I think he does them both fantastically well he made they're, they're completely unique completely different characters and i think the music i think as well going back to john williams music he used the regular indie theme just at the right moments the triumphant moments you get that beautiful moment of the plane going into the sunset um early on and i like the cameo dan Aykroyd. i was just briefly going to say you barely saw his face but that was interesting um yeah great performance by harrison ford yeah absolutely superb just did exactly what you would expect him to do. I, I do feel at times it was Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. I know, but... I know. You see, even like seeing him in What Lies Beneath or Patriot Games, there's just some of the... He still has those Harrison Ford one-liners, that Harrison Ford coolness, that Harrison Ford sort of um, smirk. Yeah, I mean, but he's just... He's reliable and he's a great, great Hollywood great and great character actor, I think. At the end of the day, who am I to criticise? You can't expect every film to be 
Gone with the Wind or High Noon, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. And and as we mentioned on the podcast, I'm just drawn to anything that the Harrison Ford's in. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll briefly mention, actually, we, as we speak, I think filming has finished in Indiana Jones 5. The title's yet to be revealed. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that because... Um, Again, it's got that, the power of having... I don't care that he's 79. I want to see Harrison Ford as Indy again, but I just... I, I don't know. Once I see it, I might have reservations because he, he was looking as if he was getting a, a bit of a pensioner in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I'm still... You just want to see it because... And actually, Mads Mikkelsen's going to be in it as well. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge and the, the female role is looking like it's going to be quite interesting. Um, Are you excited about Indiana Jones 5, Andy? Yeah, I think if... If Ford's in it, I'm in. You know, yeah. to, I don't think Harrison Ford fails at much cinematic things he does, as far as I'm concerned. I've, even a lot of films that he's been starring in, they've been criticised by the film critics. I've, I've enjoyed them. I thought Random Hearts he was great as that policeman. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've always enjoyed his performance in any film. I think, um, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we're reaching the concluding part of the review of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, um, and I think it's time, Andy, to give our, our summarising thoughts, and we've gone on a bit, and we've been mostly gushing, to be honest, which um, I'm surprised, actually, how many positives I've had about this film, but I feel, yeah, I mean, I'll and I'll let you give your main thoughts first. I think it was great to, it's great to have that darker entry in in the franchise, do you feel that way? What's your overriding feelings? In terms of people detracting from the film because of its darkness, I don't feel that way. I, I don't think there's anything overtly dark. It's maybe not great for a child to understand, perhaps going in the, to see this in the cinema, but I suppose the Indiana Jones films, Jones films had a broad range that they were aiming at. Um, I think the idea is great because you have to try something different from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think the settings in India work, the production's great in the temple. And just generally, I think the idea of the thuggy cult and their powers that they've been able to manipulate through the use of these stones works. I do I know it's not nice the idea of children being enslaved, but I think they had they had to come up with some kind of idea and yeah, it's fine as far as I'm concerned as I thought, thought it was a great entry in the series and there was a kind of great formula they had for these Indiana Jones and I think if you'd seen Raiders and seen this you would have been happy and Ford was back in it and playing the same character, yeah. And what, what are your negatives in the film, if any? I would say, as I've maybe alluded to earlier on, I do sometimes get lost in a bit of the action scenes and I think maybe one of the other things, John Williams' score, as great as it is, I just find it's too derivative at times it's just all the same kind of in my opinion brass and string bits and it's just variations of the same thing but these are small points that really perhaps don't matter in the grand scheme of things but i just i'm really really positive about this film it was a great era for hollywood films and kind of a time i remember them making great films and i love the characters i love the whole kind of indiana jones idea it's a bit at times it's a bit comic book like perhaps how he you do get fed up of him just getting out of near-death scrapes constantly it's maybe not constant that's maybe just 
being a bit overcritical and doing a bit of a disservice, but there's a bit too many in this film. But I think the first half of this film, in my eyes, is if I was to criticise anything, is stronger than the second. As great as the production is, first half is definitely better. I, I think the first half of this film is fantastic, really. Thank you. And Mr. Barry's going to want a rating out of five from you, Andy. I would go. F- I would go for the five. Give it out of five. Five out of five. Yeah, I just think it's a great action film with great actors. I've ma- I know I've made small criticisms. I I just think it's. I know it's not the most convincing plot. Obviously, it's it's meant to be a kind of exaggerated situation. It's we're not talking about Schindler's List here or something, but just great characters and action and story and all the sets and production. I, I think it's a, it's a great film for sure. Good stuff. Very positive review from Andy. Five out of five. Yeah, I mean, I was myself surprised how much I enjoyed Temple of Doom. Harrison Ford, fantastic. John Williams' music, mostly great. Sometimes by numbers, I agree with you, Andy. I liked the darker cues. The cinematography was excellent. Um, the story was original and um and it was just i just fi- i found the film thoroughly engaging apart from some of the action scenes yep. totally agree with you there i love the way that indy was thrown into a situation this time he wasn't planning it wasn't as i said he wasn't given a brief this is what you've got to find and there's somebody here that's hired you to do it he was kind of hired on the hoof by these villagers and i love the fact that indiana jones he is great at blending into any culture and he has that um that good samaritan side to help these villagers um i didn't he's a very wise man you get the opinion of the character and adaptable he knows how different cultures work and how to how to deal and be respectful to people in all areas of the world he just seems a very wise knowledgeable man obviously he's a professor in an american university so i suppose he should be to some degree adaptable was the word i was looking for andy yeah he's very adaptable and i i love the mystery especially like you said i think it does go off the rails the second half particularly the final third I feel that um, I enjoyed the deception of these protecting monarchs in the palace. I, I loved Amrish Puri's villain, um, the Molaram character. Very dark. I love the I love the dark feel of this film, and it's not the sort of thing I maybe took to the first time I saw it. I've grown to really love it, and yeah, I enjoyed Kate Capshaw's character. Um, I enjoyed Short Round. I think maybe after a strong Marion Ravenwood and in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was fine to have this. After character, but the whole point, like I said, of the Willie Scott character was she was a fish out of water. She was thrown into that situation. You couldn't have got a better actress really to do it than Kate Capshaw. I would say, I mean, the the film could have benefited, like I said, from the likes of John Rhys Davis or somebody like that. Um, it wasn't cast heavy. A lot of extras rather than supporting characters that were in it a lot. One one of the great things about the the Indiana Jones franchise was the fact he was almost like a Clark Kent. The way he he switched from his teaching in the university persona to his adventurer archaeologist persona, he was almost like Clark Kent becoming Superman. And I th- we didn't really get that so much. We got we got him in the dinner jacket as more of a regular guy at the beginning, but we didn't quite get that. I used to like I like about the Last Crusade and the first one, the university scenes, how he just switches like that. So it could have benefited from that, but it is its own thing, Temple of Doom, which I respect. 
And like I said, I mean, there is, I think there is some sort of map paintings and backdrops, special effects could have been done better. But like I said, for the time, you can't really um, have a go at it too much. Um, and yeah, the, there isn't really much else to criticize, really. Yeah, that some of the, some of the final act, the action scenes weren't as engaging as I'd hoped. But yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Very engaging film. Rating-wise, it's a 4 out of 5 for me. There is a few minor criticisms. Apart from that, it's, it's fairly regular at Indiana Jones. It's nothing groundbreaking, so I don't think it deserves more than a 4. Yeah, um, looking forward to seeing what, what we get next, <laughs> the Indiana Jones 5, um, and hopefully watching Last Crusade soon. Uh, so Andy, how have you enjoyed being on the Capiche Filmcast first time? Yeah, I, I hope I've done myself justice to some degree, but I've really enjoyed watching it and just going through this process of reviewing it as best as I can and just trying to put my own thoughts and vision about how I, I feel the film was on screen and was to me. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed your contribution. Indy Andy Webster, very, very good. So, yeah, join us again hopefully soon. So that is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You've been listening to the Capiche Filmcast. Visit us at www.capiche.online where, as I said, we've got a lot of written reviews, game reviews, our all-time Bond rankings. Please, if you get the chance, listen to the... We have individual episodes of the entire James Bond series from Doctor No right up now to No Time to Die, which you should hear by the time this is released. So there are kind of our flagship episodes, plenty other film reviews early on too. And um, of course, yeah, we've got our overall 007 rankings from Doctor No up to Spectre, which um, so um, would be interested to hear other people's thoughts. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Andy, for joining me. I've been Gordon Webster. Yeah, I'm Andy Webster. Thank you for listening to the Capiche Filmcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye.